It is officially official. John Angelos is selling the Baltimore Orioles. We got the news on Tuesday night, and it was very exciting, but now we have a little more clarity on what exactly is going to happen here. So I'll provide the latest updates on the Orioles sale coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, February 1st, 2024, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we will continue to chat about the Orioles being sold to a group led by David Rubenstein. The news coming down, first broken by John O'Rand of Puck Sports on Tuesday night, and then officially confirmed by the Orioles, by Angelos, and by Rubenstein on Wednesday, letting us know this is actually happening. The Orioles are going to be sold. We'll get into what the timeline looks like now, what some of the pros and cons could be of this process. Then we'll have a little more kind of separate Orioles news and notes coming up at the end of the show. But that is all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can join today and get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started today. And as we jump into the episode here, if you do hear a little bit of potentially barking, a dog in the background, the dog is in here with me. She got surgery earlier this week. She's doing great, but, you know, in a little bit of pain. And uh, she's certainly, though, celebrating the Orioles under new ownership. So you may hear a dog in the background at some point in this episode. But wanted to start with just the latest update on the Orioles sale. When I talked with you in the live episode on Tuesday night, we kind of went through everything we knew at that point, which was John Angelos was selling the Orioles to a group led by local billionaire David Rubenstein for $1.725 billion. But we've learned a lot more since then. So first of all, this is not exactly ironed out yet, but this is mostly what I've been reading and hearing at this point. David Rubenstein initially will buy 40% of the Orioles. And it seems like that 40% will come out of what the Angelos family owns right now. So although the Angeloses are the controlling partners and they've basically got most of the Orioles, the Angeloses only own about 70% of the Orioles. There are a bunch more investors going from, you know, Tom Clancy and Pam Shriver and others around the country who own a chunk of about the other 30%. But because the Angeloses have 70%, they are the controlling owners of the team. Now, the way I understand it, at least to this point, and this could change depending on further reporting, that Rubenstein's 40% will come directly out of the 70% that the Angelos family is selling. At this point, that other 30% of the Orioles that is owned by others, it is undetermined yet whether those other owners will also be selling their shares of the team. That's a lot of owners with pretty small shares across the board as well. But Rubenstein and his group will take over 40% of the Angelo 70%, which makes it look like, okay, Rubenstein will have 40%, Angelos will have 30%, and that other group will have 30%, which will make Rubenstein the controlling partner of the Orioles. And that is the big clarification we got between Tuesday night and now, is that whenever this sale is approved... And that is kind of the first step here. The other owners in Major League Baseball have to approve this sale. They need 75% of the other owners to say yes to get approval. Now, 
There is an owner's meeting next week in Orlando. Unfortunately, that is just not going to be enough time. Unless something crazy happens, they are not going to vote next week in Orlando. They're going to take much more time to kind of go through Rubenstein, go through some of the other partners, go through their financials, and make sure they have all the information they need before they make the decision. Now, I don't think there's going to be any question that the other owners will vote yes on this transition and this sale, but it's going to take probably a few months for that to happen, which means most likely that vote is not coming up next week. But when that vote happens and we get that yes, again, it'll be Rubenstein's group with 40%, Seems like Angelos with 30% and then another 30% to the rest of those current Oriole owners. Again, not knowing if they will sell or not and if Rubenstein will get that. But David Rubenstein will be the controlling person. He will be basically voted into power by Major League Baseball. And he will be the one making the final say on the money that the Orioles spend on a myriad of things, not limited to the free agency and the roster budget. Now, even though he'll get that 40% now, you know that Rubenstein wants more of the Orioles, and that is the plan. And eventually, he will buy all of the shares that the Angelos family has. He will have at least the 70% of the Orioles, have the same amount of control that the Angelos family has by the end of this. But there is still the big hurdle that we talked about a bit on Tuesday night, and that is Peter Angelos, who initially bought the Orioles back in 1993 and has been in failing health essentially since 2017 and the team was kind of handed over to John Angelos uh, officially in 2020 but even more so behind the scenes before that because of Peter's health this all kind of depends on Peter Angelos sad I mean it's kind of sad that it gets to this but Peter Angelos passing away and a lot of this has to do with capital gains tax now I don't pretend to be someone who is in the weeds on capital gains tax but what I can tell you is If the Angeloses sell away everything they own in the Orioles, all 70%, before Peter dies, they are going to end up having to pay a lot of tax. Potentially almost 50% of what they end up getting for the team. But if they wait until after he dies, that capital gains tax kind of goes away. So they'd still be taxed on the sale, but not even close to as much as they would now. And David Sampson on his podcast, a nice breakdown of this, I believe, on Wednesday that you can go and check out. But again... It is the Angelos is essentially getting a lot more money out of the sale if they wait to do the full thing until after Peter passes away. So then you ask, well, why sell any of it now? Well, this makes for a lot smoother transition at this point. And it seems like from some reporting, a lot of it, good reporting done by Britt Giroli and Ken Rosenthal in The Athletic on Thursday morning talking about how, well, John Angelos kind of wanted out as well. And there were reasons why he wanted to sell this team, whether it was frustrations with the lease negotiations, not enough cash flow that he wanted, or just in general, it sounded like Georgia Angelos, John's mom and Peter's wife, was kind of putting her foot down because Peter was leaving some of the decision to Georgia Angelos on whether to sell the team, and it sounds like she was in for making that decision. And for all of that, you basically get, okay, someone who is going to pay you a large sum of money You guarantee that they're in, you give them a percentage now, and you kind of let them take over, but you don't give them everything right now, and you don't have to get taxed on everything. Instead, you can still wait for a good amount of that money to not be taxed as much once Peter passes away. That is my understanding of the situation. Now, what else we do know is, at least for now, while Angelos gives up 40%, but still owns 30% of the team... John Angelos is going to stay on as a special advisor. Now, a lot of the you know other investors that have you know been owning the team and and jumped in with Peter Angelos in 1993. Yes, they own part of the team, but they certainly 
are not in any way like special advisors. They don't really make a lot of decisions on the Orioles. It seems like John Angelos is still going to be somewhat involved, at least while Peter is still alive. Now, that is still a little bit concerning that he's still going to be involved with this franchise in some way. But you would hope with Rubenstein being the control person at that point, he's making most of the decisions. Angelos just for his own ego wants to stay on and again help with the kind of transition of power until Rubenstein can kind of fully take over this team. Now, we are unsure, again, if that other 30% will sell to Rubenstein. We're also unsure that other 30% that's outside of Angelos. Also unsure what happens with John Angelos as a special advisor once Peter Angelos does pass away. Now, he will sell all of the rest of the stake that he owns to Rubenstein of the Orioles, but I think the big question would be, does Angelos try to still stay on with the O's in some capacity, or does he just fully move to Nashville and get out of here? Now, I hope it's the latter, but it could be the former, and that's something we would probably have to wait on until that actually happens to know what is going to go on there. But I've been mentioning kind of all of these other people, and there's also other people joining David Rubenstein's group to purchase the Orioles for $1.725 billion. And we knew about a couple of the other names on Tuesday night. We knew about Michael Arrighetti, who is the CEO of Aries Management Corporation, oversees a lot of real estate and is worth almost $2 billion. We knew about Cal Ripken Jr. being involved in the ownership group, which is just a great thing for the Orioles and for Baltimore and for Cal as well. But we got a few more names who are in the mix and are part of this group. It turns out Mike Bloomberg is in this group, was a former, with what, three-term mayor of New York City in the 2000s, was also on the presidential ticket, obviously did not get the nomination, but was on the ticket in 2020, a guy who's worth almost $100 billion and is also friends with David Rubenstein. Rubenstein hosts these two talk shows. They're both on the Bloomberg Network. The two are friends, know each other, and probably a big reason why he is in on this sale. Grant Hill is also in this group, former NBA All-Star. Hill is from Northern Virginia, so from kind of close. And Hill's dad grew up in Baltimore, and Hill's dad was a professional athlete and actually worked for the Orioles at one point. So there is the connection there. Michelle Kang is in here, a, a CEO of a tech company who also owns the Washington Spirit, the professional women's soccer team that plays in Washington, D.C. She also owns, I believe, multiple other women's soccer teams as well, so good to have Kang on who has that experience uh, owning a sports franchise. And then you got Mitchell Goldstein and Michael Smith. They are also partners at Aries Corporation, uh, along with Michael Arrighetti. And then Kurt Schmoke is in here as well, who was uh, the former mayor of Baltimore back in the late 90s, uh, and he is part of this ownership group. But the big thing is the announcement's been made. The Orioles, Rubenstein, and Angelos all put out statements, all made the announcement on Wednesday. This is official. This is happening. You can, you know, stop all the worries of, oh, it's going to be, you know, we're going to get Done in again. This is not actually happening. It is truly happening. Now we still need the approval, again, of 75% of the other Major League Baseball owners, but I don't see that being any problem. It could take a few months. That seems like this is going to happen at this point. And then we move forward. But the other thing is, you know, what do these financials look like? We have this number of $1.725 billion. We have this number of, okay, Rubenstein's going to take 40% now. He'll get more later when Peter Angelos passes away. But what do all those numbers mean? What are they in context to other Major League Baseball teams? And also, Masson is a part of this deal. Masson being sold along with the Orioles to Rubenstein. What is the future of Masson? They broadcast and cover the Orioles. We'll talk about that coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast 
is brought to you by eBay Motors. Now, I'm sure John Angelos might be getting some parts at eBay Motors as he drives away from Baltimore eventually, but passion, drive, and patience. That is what brings home the winning trophy. And David Rubenstein did say he wants to bring a World Series trophy to Baltimore, but it's also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber and not cash. So with all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply, eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. So we're keeping you updated on the sale of the Orioles. John Angelos agreeing to sell, sell the O's to a group led by local billionaire, grew up in Baltimore, Orioles fan, lives in Maryland still in David Rubenstein for $1.725 billion. That is billion with a B. Again, Rubenstein will initially take on 40% of the Orioles and be the controlling person immediately as soon as the owners approve it. And then after Peter Angelos' death, they will sell the rest of what they own in the team to Rubenstein, and he will have the vast majority of ownership in the Orioles, along with a longer group of people who are investing as well. But that number, $1.725 billion, it is a big number, right? The Marlins uh, and the Royals and the Guardians, really kind of the last three teams to be sold. The Royals went for $1 billion. The Marlins went for $1.2 billion back in 2017. And the Guardians right now are undergoing kind of a similar process that the Orioles are doing, where they had an owner buy in for a small percentage, but with the agreement that he would continue to buy more and more until he eventually becomes the owner. But the evaluation that he bought in on was on $1 billion for the Guardians as well. Now the Royals, the Guardians, and the Marlins are three of the lowest spending teams in Major League Baseball and three of the smaller markets in Major League Baseball as well. So their numbers are going to be on the lower end. And the Orioles kind of blowing that away at a $1.725 billion evaluation. But there was a good article in The Athletic on Thursday morning, again, written by Britt Giroli and Ken Rosenthal, kind of talking about this evaluation and also what happened that led up to this sale. And there was some good insight about why John Angelos wanted to sell at this point. But there was also good insight from sources around the league about what this number means. And although it you know vastly outweighs what the Marlins and the Royals were recently sold for, and the Orioles are probably a tick above them in terms of media market and, and sustainability and things like that. It is interesting that a lot of those people said that is a low number. They got multiple people saying, yeah, that's low and expecting, I think, $2 billion or more that the Orioles would be sold for. And although the evaluation from Forbes is, is pretty close to this number, a lot of people talked about how the team is on the rise, right, coming off an amazing 101-win season with all this young talent, and the team is not costly right now. They still have the 28th payroll in baseball despite all that success. It's kind of the perfect storm for someone coming in and buying the team and it being worth a lot of money. And they seem kind of surprised that Angelo sold at this, you know, in context, low of a number. But that is what he did. And apparently, according to that reporting from Giroli and Rosenthal, a lot of it had to do with the fact that he was frustrated with lease negotiation. He was frustrated with the cash flow. He wanted an influx of cash for his family. And also, a big thing here that I mentioned briefly earlier, 
The reporting from Jorolian Rosenthal says that Georgia Angelos, who is John's mother and Peter Angelos' wife, who was kind of initially going to be the control person and Peter Angelos wanted, you know, the team to be sold when he died, wanted his wife Georgia and their kids to have all this money to kind of retire on and, and, and go travel on and just have for the rest of their lives. She had some decision-making power here, and it sounds like she stepped in and made her voice heard in that I want to sell this team. And it wasn't 100% her decision to be made, but she had a lot of influence here, it seems like. And that seems to be a big, big part of why this is being sold. Now, the other question here is about Masson. What we do know is that Masson is involved in the sale. It is the Orioles and Masson that are being sold to David Rubenstein. Of course, the Orioles and John Angelos owned Masson. They owned a large chunk of it. They were getting larger payouts, even though the Nationals are also broadcast on Masson. It was kind of the give and take when the, the Nats came in in 2005 into D.C., took the part of the Orioles TV market. And there was a lot of lawsuits, as we know, about how much the Nats should be paid. Those were finally settled over the last year, which was a huge step towards getting this team sold. And now, although the relationship is still contentious, it is much better in between the O's, the Nats, and Masson at this moment, which makes it much easier to buy Masson too. But Masson does not do a good job of being what it could be at this point. They broadcast an MLB low four spring training games per season. I mean, they've barely updated the graphics in 15 years. And although I love Kevin Brown, I mean, he's not given a whole lot to work with at times on the broadcast side. And they have no other programming. They have the O's extra, like the brief pre and post game shows. That's it. They're playing ESPN News and poker and motocross throughout the day. That's that's all they play. There's no... I mean, there was a couple other shows like wall-to-wall baseball and other things. They weren't great at all, but there really isn't any other Orioles or Baltimore-specific programming when the Orioles or Nationals games aren't on Masson. Like, that's basically all they have on the network, and it doesn't have the amount of subscribers it used to, and a lot of that's because a lot of people have been cutting the cord over the past few years, but it is still a local regional broadcast network, and a lot of people settle in and watch it every single night. They also don't have streaming. At some point, you got to get the streaming. And I know there's a lot of issues with regional sports networks around Major League Baseball and some of them failing and some teams worried about, you know, what's going to happen to their payroll. Masson isn't one of those that's failing in that way. They are still getting on the air and showing every single Orioles and Nationals game. But there could be some more programming and some more stuff put into this and a way to stream Masson and maybe actually get yourself on YouTube TV so that a lot of people can watch you when they do cut the cord. I don't have cable. I would pay a flat subscription fee for a year to just be able to stream and watch the Orioles on the Roku. I would 100% pay that, and I think a lot of people would too. So I think that should be part of Rubenstein's answer here, but if he doesn't want to deal with all that, there was some more interesting reporting from Jeroli and Rosenthal in that athletic article that Ted Leonsis, who is currently the owner of the Washington Wizards, the Washington Capitals, and the Washington Mystics, is interested in buying Masson himself. Now, Leonsis put in a bid a couple years ago for $2.2 billion to buy the Nationals. However, the Lerner family kind of shot that down. Rubenstein was interested there as well. He showed a little interest of buying the Orioles in the past, but he wants Masson, it sounds like. And Giroli's and Rosenthal's reporting was that that's something that could happen here, that Ted Leonsis could just buy Masson itself away from Rubenstein and essentially warp it into what he does now with the Mystics and the Capitals and the Wizards. They are all broadcast on Monumental Sports Network, which 
is kind of the evolution of Comcast Sportsnet and then NBC Sports Washington and now Monumental Sports Network that broadcast those teams. And you know he would like that content in the summer as well. And although he has his own issues and is moving the Wizards and Capitals, it seems, to Virginia and is taking them out of the Capital One Center in downtown D.C., They've been broadcasting fairly well, those couple of teams, for a long, long time. And maybe if you just centralized it all, it could maybe be easier on everyone involved. So an interesting part of this that we will certainly continue to monitor. But that's really all the big updates on the sale. we got a few more Orioles news and notes to get to, kind of separate of the sale, coming up next to finish off the show. But first, this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. The Super Bowl is coming up. You might not be emotionally ready yet, but happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. And if you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, maybe grabbing your favorite football snacks, and oh yeah, placing a few bets as well. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers can join today, and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. So we'll finish things up today with a few Orioles news and notes before we go here on a Thursday. Wanted to start with a minor league signing that the Orioles made, and again, Always my message that I give when I talk about minor league signings, there is no such thing as a bad minor league signing. They all provide depth. None of these players are even guaranteed to be on the 40-man or be on the roster. None of them are going to block any prospects. It's just for depth, generally at AAA. And another guy the Orioles signed is 31-year-old left-handed pitcher Andrew Suarez to a minor league deal. Now, Suarez was briefly in the big leagues with the Cardinals last season, pitched 27 and two-thirds innings over 13 appearances, and it didn't go very well. He had a 7.16 ERA with a 13% strikeout rate, bad, a 12% walk rate, really bad. But that was also his first time back in the big league since 2020. He had kind of been tweaking his stuff, coming back from injury, and was pitching better, and had finally gotten himself back to Major League Baseball. Now, he spent most of the year in AAA with the Memphis Redbirds and the Cardinals system last year, and there he was much better. 64 innings, a 4.08 ERA, 25% strikeout rate, just a 9% walk rate. That is much, much better. Now, he debuted in the big leagues in 2018 with the San Francisco Giants. He pitched there for three years, and... His rookie season was really good. 29 starts, 160 innings. I mean, he wasn't amazing, but he had a 4.49 ERA as, as a pretty much starter from beginning to end in the 2018 Giants rotation. He kind of fell off from there the next two years, ended up in the minor leagues, and then resurfaced last season. He's not someone I really see probably pitching in the big leagues. I mean, in terms of left-handed pitching options, you know, you've got on the roster, CNL Perez and Danny Coulomb and D.L. Hall and Cole Irvin and John Means, and then the depth behind them, which we'll talk about in Keegan Aiken and Bruce Zimmerman and Tucker Davidson. Like, Suarez is behind all of those guys, but what he is is good depth in AAA who can start for the Tides, which would be a good thing. He can also pitch in relief for the Tides and can be there, kind of break glass in case of emergency. And the other news and notes we have are on two other left-handers for the Orioles. Both of them talked to Steve Molesky of Masson over the weekend at the Birdland Caravan to give some injury updates. The first one is Keegan Aiken who was on the O's active roster until June of last year, wasn't pitching very well, and then went down with a back injury and tried to come back in Norfolk multiple times and just basically he did not pitch again in the big leagues. Aiken is still on the 40-man roster, and he still does have one minor league option year left, which makes him a little more valuable to keep on the 40-man. 
I still think if the O's were to make like another flurry of moves this offseason, Aiken could be on the 40-man bubble. But more than likely, because he has options, the O's still like the way his fastball plays up. They like his stuff. He'll probably get option to AAA to start the year. But Aiken did tell Steve Molesky he is ready to go. Health-wise, the back feels good, and he's good for spring training. And the same thing to be said for Bruce Zimmerman, who didn't pitch very much at all in the big leagues last year, who was mostly a AAA Norfolk rotation member for most of the year after he had that breakout first half of 2022, then kind of fell apart and went back to the minor leagues. He's also a depth arm. Now, Aiken probably has a little higher ceiling than Zimmerman at this point, but Zimmerman also still on the 40-man roster, but good thing for the O's again, also has one more option year remaining, which means he and Aiken can both be freely optioned up and down between AAA and Baltimore this year. And again, I think that means Zimmerman, at least at this point, will stay on the 40-man roster because he has that option year. And again, if you need a spot start, if the bullpen's really tired, you need a long reliever for a couple of days, Bruce Zimmerman becomes your guy. And again, right, there might be better options than even that. I mean, even Nick Vespi, who is also still in the 40-man, a left-hander who's kind of been working on his stuff this offseason, he showed last year he had multiple appearances of two and three innings, both in AAA and in the big leagues. So Vespi, I would even even put maybe ahead of Aiken and Zimmerman on that lefty depth chart right now. But it's nice to have all those guys who have options, Vespi does too, on the 40-man. So you can kind of call them up and down slightly freely and not have to worry about putting them on waivers. And it gives you a lot more freedom on your roster on the back end, you know, the more 6th, 7th, and 8th guys in your bullpen. It gives you more flexibility there because a lot of the O's relievers right now, like Jacob Webb and Mike Bauman and others, like these guys are out of options. You know, Cole Irvin as well. You got to kind of keep them on the roster. So keeping around these other guys with flexibility is good. Zimmerman, who had core surgery after the season in October, says he is also ready, healthy, fully ready to go for spring training and again. All these guys, Suarez, Aiken, Zimmerman, I see them more as depth than anything. I would bet probably Zimmerman and Aiken both at least pitch once for the Orioles this year. Suarez, not so much. But it's always good to have left-handed pitching depth, and that is what the Orioles have here in those three guys. But that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, we will continue to cover everything going down with this Orioles sale. Unless we get some more big news, this is most likely going to be the final episode of this week. But don't worry, we'll be back on Monday with a mailbag. Get your mailbag questions in LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. Also, leave them in the comments right here on the Locked on Orioles YouTube page. And make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked on Orioles YouTube page as well. And again, we'll be back with a mailbag Monday when we return. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.